Welcome to the How to Survive a Horror Movie Podcast, where we learn how to survive horror movies and maybe how to survive life. I'm your host, Ryan Stacey, and today we are going to the bottom of the barrel because we are looking at the film Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers. I prayed that he would burn in hell, but in my heart, I knew that hell would not have him. In my opinion, the worst movie we have watched so far on this podcast. 19 movies in, and we've... This is the low point. And I'm starting to drink. <laughs> and that was Derek cracking open a beer. I'm joined this week by our, our Halloween correspondent, Derek. How you doing? Not great. Not great, Bob? Not great, Ryan. <laughs> uh, how come, Derek? This movie is bad. <laughs> and what's worse is this is the second time you've made me watch it. I didn't make you watch it the first time. So for some context, Derek and I were roommates in college. And one day I was getting, uh, I was watching through the Halloween series for the first time. I just happened to get Halloween 5. I was getting them the Netflix DVDs for those of you who remember those. So I, I got Halloween 5 in the mail. I'm like, okay, great. I'm going to watch this. Derek happened to me in the room like, hey, Derek, I'm going to watch Halloween 5. Want to watch? And for some reason, I agreed. And you hadn't seen any of them? Nope. So I had no context, and even back then I thought, this is the worst movie, arguably, I've ever seen. And after a little bit more horror movie experience, a little broadening of my horizons, I can still say with confidence, this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. It's, it is a really awful movie. I, I genuinely hate this movie. And I know, Ryan, this is not a review podcast, but this is going to be difficult yep. for me, I think, to get through. So same. This this is this this wasn't even a fun bad movie. I no. was I was there when you guys watched Leprechaun. That was a fun bad movie to watch. This movie is no fun. Yeah. None. This is a, this was a miserable experience. So I'm hoping the podcast will be more fun. We'll see. We'll see. So the point of this podcast is we are trying to create a master list of rules to survive any and all horror movies. So you can find our list of 35 rules now on Twitter at How to Horror. Now you can find the latest version of the rules there, and we'll post the, the weekly episodes there as well. So go ahead and check that out. And at the very end of the episode, we will give out some awards for the characters who did the best job at following the rules and the worst job at following the rules. So we will be spoiling the entirety of Halloween 5, because we're going to be going through the plot beat by beat, talking about all the various character decisions made. But don't worry about it. Don't watch this movie. Just listen to this podcast. Spoiler alert, but do not watch this movie. It is trash. Agreed. Just listen to the podcast this time around. We always tell you whether or not the movie is worth your time and whether you should watch it before listening to the podcast. I implore you, out of the 19 episodes we've done, this one is the one you should watch the least. And this is not a glowing endorsement on the podcast. I mean, I think we do a pretty good job here. This movie is just that bad. I will guarantee you, you have my personal guarantee, that this podcast would be better than that movie. Yes, and it won't be close. <laughs> it won't be close. All right, so let's get into Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers. Okay, so we open up with some flashbacks back to the end of Halloween Part 4 with Michael Myers falling down the mineshaft, and it's revealed that he managed to crawl away and get out into a nearby river before they blew up the mineshaft, supposedly killing Michael or whatever. So he escapes. Ugh. Whatever, you gotta have a movie. Yep, fine. I, I, 
I wish they'd gone with the original idea that Jamie was going to be the new killer, but the producers put the kibosh on that. So we got to bring Michael back somehow, whatever. Okay, moving on. So Michael gets washed away down the river to an old hermit shack and he crawls over to it and we meet this hermit called the mountain man. And he hears a weird noise outside and he lives in the middle of the woods. So if you hear a weird noise outside, might be an animal, might be some crazy person. So what do you do? Grab a weapon and look outside, like peer through the holes in your little shack. Don't go outside and look around and explore. And I know it's not an official rule, but listen to the animals. He noticed that his parakeet was acting a little odd. Listen to the animals here. Come on, mountain man. He doesn't necessarily need to know he's in a horror movie. You're in a survival situation. If you're living in the middle of the woods and you have a shelter and you hear a weird noise, don't go outside looking around. Rule number eight is don't leave your shelter. And he does. I'll forgive it a little bit just because... He's mountain man. He lives in a shack. But like you said, he has situational awareness. He's lived out here a while. You have to know that it's not all that safe. You have to try and protect yourself. So bad move on mountain man here. So he goes outside, looks around, doesn't see anything, comes back into his shack, and Michael is somehow inside and attacks him, but then proceeds to just collapse and is unconscious. Probably from the 150 bullets that he took 10 minutes prior. Probably. That might have something to do with it. So we cut to Halloween Eve, one year later. And we're at the the Haddonfield Children's Clinic, where Jamie is a patient. And she has become mute, because previously, at the end of Halloween 4, she attacked her adopted mother and stabbed her. Now, the mom lived. Yeah, so Jamie has issues. And she's mute now, and she has this kind of, like, psychic connection to Michael. It's weird. Doesn't make much sense, but whatever. There are weirder things. There are weirder and worse things in this movie. There are weirder and worse things in this series. Yes. So she's been having nightmares. And now she's having a nightmare about Michael waking up. Because it's the day before Halloween. So cut back to Michael, who is still in the mountain man's shack. Exactly where he laid down a year ago. What? What? And the mountain man is just like whittling away at some wood or just sitting there doing mountain man things. And Michael gets up and snaps his neck. So, Ryan, what rules did Mountain Man break here? Oh, okay. So, you're living in the middle of the woods, and some weirdo walks up into your house and falls unconscious. Well, attacks you and falls unconscious. Sure. And is wearing a mask. Maybe you'll get some help. Maybe, like, drag his body or something. You know, get him somewhere. I know what you don't do. You don't take care of this guy for a year who's been unconscious this whole time. That's just... I, I don't even know what that is. That's insane that's insane i was gonna say we have uh you know know you're in a horror movie fine maybe not know you're in a horror movie but you're in some kind of weird movie uh you got stranger danger yeah you gotta watch out for that one rule 18 stranger danger but the biggest one i think is rule number 30 don't be a good samaritan this is above and beyond the call of duty here you just get this guy some help it could just be someone who's hurt or something clearly he's been shot you don't take care of him for a year that's crazy yeah, no, this guy, I, I, I'm not, I'll stop short of saying he deserves it, but what do you expect? I mean, th- this is a plausible outcome. There's, ah, whatever. A year! This is, this is nonsensical. This is some bullshit. So Mountain Man gets killed. Whatever. I don't even know what to say. Whatever. But the other important thing we see here is Michael has this weird tattoo on his wrist that we've never seen before. And because it was completely made up for this movie. The Mountain Man must have given it to him. Uh, Yes, of course. But that'll be important for this movie and the sequel. But Michael has the tattoo on his wrist. A year! 
Whatever. Oh, this God. is worse than Magic Stonehenge bullshit. I, yeah, this is beyond Magic Stonehenge bullshit. So the doctors, they, they come in and Jamie's having a seizure and has stopped breathing because of this vision. And the doctors, they want to cut open her trachea so they can get her to breathe. And Dr. Loomis comes in and stops them from doing the procedure and Jamie ends up stabilizing. She's fine. But some people think Dr. Loomis still wants to kill Jamie because he did attempt to shoot her at the end of Halloween 4. And Sheriff Meeker stopped him from doing it. The doctor at the hospital thinks Dr. Loomis still wants to kill Jamie. And that, that's not true. Points for continuity, though. Yes. One of the few things I'll say about this movie that is positive. Yeah, the only things I really like about this movie are I do like Dr. Loomis and Jamie. They're The actors do a good job with the material they're given. So the stuff with them directly and their acting ability is fine. There's not much else I can say, though. <laughs> Next day, it's Halloween now, and Rachel, her adopted sister, is visiting her from the, our final girl from the previous movie and the winner of the Randy Meeks Merit Badge from Halloween 4. And I actually want to stop you right there. This is Halloween Day yep. in Hattonfield, a year after the return of Michael Myers. Everybody should know they're in a horror movie. Now, granted, we'll give everyone... The tiniest bit of slack, but I just want us to have this overarching thought as we're going through this. This is Halloween day, and they have two instances of Michael Myers doing some pretty whacked out stuff. Yep. So everybody should know they are in a horror movie. I guess they all just assume he's dead because he fell down a mine shaft and they blew up the mine shaft. Yes, but he also survived an explosion sure. and like 12 shots. I, everyone should be more careful. Okay, so... Everyone should realize they're in a horror movie, but let's ignore that for now, and we'll do like a, an actual like what moment should they really, really realize? They're no, in a horror and movie. and that's fine. I'm just I'm just saying everybody th- should be better. This this comes down to the fact that this movie was poorly written. Everyone should be wary. They're not, but you're right. We'll talk about the more precise moments. Yeah, the, the key moments. But yeah, everybody should. They they all they're all from the head and feel they should know better. The only people who know they're in a horror movie are Jamie and Dr. Loomis. They've never left the horror movie. Yeah. So the two of them are aware, and they are they both know they're in a horror movie. So Rachel's visiting Jamie, and then we also meet her friend Tina, who is, my, in my opinion, the worst character in the Halloween franchise. I hate Tina. And I disagree with you. She's the second worst character in this movie. But other than that, I mean, these are two clearly... The worst characters that I've seen in the first five. Yeah, and we'll get to the other one in a little bit. But uh, So Tina is just obnoxious and loud and won't shut up, and she's stupid and completely unsensible. Rachel, you need better friends. Rachel, get better friends. So Tina arrives with Rachel's dog, Max. Don't get too attached to Max. And they're bringing Jamie her Halloween costume, which is a pink princess dress, even though, why are you celebrating Halloween? You should just stop. Yeah, it's kind of insensitive, but again, we'll just move on. There's nothing else to say here. Jamie seems excited about it, so if she wants to do what she wants to do, that's fine. She's a little kid. She's nine. That's fine. Rachel's parents have gone out of town to a cabin, and Rachel's going to go join them for a few days. I get it. Get out of town for Halloween. I love it. Rachel's parents are great. Yeah, they should be in contention for the badge. Yeah. Like, we didn't even hear them say anything. They're like, yeah, nope, we gone. They, they aren't in the movie. We outie. <laughs> we, we we'd never see them in the movie. <laughs> So Rachel's going to go join them. Someone throws a brick through Jamie's hospital clinic window 
and with a note saying the evil child must die. So the town is not fond of Jamie. They know she's Michael's niece, and then she stabbed her uh, adopted mother. Not that this is any kind of thing that costs anyone anything, but, like, come on, don't be a menace. Don't yeah. throw bricks through a little girl's window. Yeah, don't throw bricks through a little girl's window, definitely. I mean, I mean don't throw bricks through windows, typically, but don't do not do it to a little girl. Come She's on. nine. Leave her alone. Don't do it to a little kid. And, and it's Danielle Harris. She's adorable in this. Also true. I will say it was very stupid for the producers to decide, oh, let's take this adorable character of the last movie and make her mute for half of it. Ugh. Stupid. So Rachel, she kind of feels guilty about leaving, but she and Max go home. And Max is barking a lot because Michael Myers is hiding in the bushes. Rule number two, constant vigilance. I know, Rachel, you're not really in a horror movie yet, like really, really, but pay attention to the animals. Like that is a, a big sign of dangers. The animals have better, are more acutely aware to the environment than we are. And Max is barking at Michael Myers and Rachel ignores this. This is the second time that an animal has tried to warn its human Listen to the animals. Yep. Be aware. Rachel, you survived the entire return of Michael Myers. Why are you behaving like this? Stop. My only thing is that maybe she's just trying to, like, bury all of that. No pun intended. Yeah. My only conclusion is she's trying to bury the events of Halloween 4 and move on and not get back into that amazing headspace she was in to survive Halloween 4. That's the only thing that makes any sense. And I get it. It's just irritating. It is irritating. It feels like regression. It does. Especially because of what's about to happen. Yep. So Jamie has a an episode, another episode of kind of a vision of Michael, and she sees Max barking at Michael Myers. That's what's happening. Max is in the house barking at Michael Myers, who is outside of the house. Dr. Loomis believes Jamie, which is great. And they call Rachel. They're like, hey, check on Max. Something's wrong. And she's wearing just a towel. And she goes to the back door where Max is supposed to be. The back door's wide open. Max is gone. Rule number one, you're in a horror movie. If you find your back door open, maybe it was the wind. Maybe somebody came in your house and is trying to kill you. Go with the ladder. Rachel should know she's in a horror movie now. And to be fair, what she does next is, I mean, you should be gone already. Yeah. But she picks up the phone. Dr. Loomis had been still on the line and said, you need to get out. You need to call for help now. Something's wrong. She doesn't put on clothes. She doesn't waste any time. She leaves and just goes and talks to her neighbor, who's just this middle-aged dude who's like, hello, toweled lady. <laughs> yep. I'll help you. So good on Rachel here. Yeah, Dr. Loomis tells her to follow Rule 11, get out. <laughs> and she does. She's gone. And they get the cops involved, which is rule number 12, wait for backup. Before going back in the house at all, she has backup come in. She calls in some cops. These two bozos. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> So we meet deputies Nick and Tom, and they are introduced with, like, clown music. This is just bizarre. No, he's not kidding. They literally play some carnival music in the back and do, like, the little nose horn as they walk up to Rachel. All clear. Nothing above, nothing below. What is happening? Did we put in the Three Stooges or something? What is going on? And apparently they swept the house. Yeah, so apparently these two cops, they went in and searched the house. They did a piss-poor job because Michael was in there the whole time. Rule number three, do your do damn, damn jobs. jobs. So these two bozos of cops, they missed Michael hiding in the house. And guess what? Rachel's going to die because of their incompetence. It's terrible. These two suck. So Max returns. Max is fine. So I get why Rachel goes back in the house. The police said it was clear. Max is back. Oh, he just ran off. He somehow got the door open and ran off. You're no longer in a horror movie, Rachel. With the information she has at this 
point in time. I think she can assume she's not in a horror movie anymore because there's a logical explanation for everything. Yeah, you can be nervous, but the coast is clear enough. Yeah, you're supposed to trust police officers to do their jobs, and they didn't hear, so it, it just sucks. It's bad luck. Yeah. <sighs> Stupid. Tough shake. Loomis kind of, like, yells at Jamie because he realizes the two of them, have, uh, Jamie and Michael, have, like, a psychic connection, and he's, like, yelling at her to get her to help him. Which is really funny. But Rachel, meanwhile, she continues to pack and doesn't notice Michael Myers is in her closet. Rule number two, constant vigilance. Rachel, you were better at this last movie. But again, yeah, maybe you were burying emotions. I get it. And also, the cops just swept your house. That one's not your fault. But Come this on. one is. This what's about to happen next. Is, so she hears Max barking, and Max is outside now. And then she hears the sound of glass breaking in her house. Rule number one, you're in a horror movie again. Yes. You need to grab a weapon and try and get out of this house now. Instead, she goes to investigate the strange noise without a weapon. If you want to explore your house a little bit with a weapon, that's one thing. But she doesn't do it with a weapon. Rule number five is lock and load. You gotta lock and load here. You have to. And she goes into another room and finds Jamie's a picture of Jamie broken. And Michael sneaks up on her and stabs her to death with a pair of scissors. And that's the end of Rachel. And this really goes back to what I was saying. It feels like a regression of her character not to realize the severity of the situation quickly enough to act and at least make it further than 15, 20 minutes into the movie. Yeah, she didn't make it out of the first act of the film. And you know what? Yeah, some of it was tough shake. Some of it was absolutely in her character's control. And ultimately, yeah, rule two constant vigilance is to me the reason that she's gone. Yeah, and then the failure to lock and load as well. Yeah. And a failure to recognize that she was in a horror movie. Rule one. Like, she, she should have known, and she didn't. Yeah. So. And it was, it was Halloween in Hattonfield on top of all of it. So, it, it's disappointing, because she is a winner of the Randy Meeks Mary Badge, and she deserved it. And she was a great character. Yep. I don't know what the writers and or director or producers were thinking for this, but this was stupid. This is a shame. And this is part of the reason why I forgot I like Halloween 4 so much, is Halloween 5 is so bad. It ruins it. Yeah. It, it absolutely it, leaves a bad taste in your mouth. It brings 4 down retroactively yeah and that sucks because four was a great time yeah four was a really fun movie and that's coming from me yeah so rachel is dead yep that's that's it for rachel so tina comes over to rachel's house god she's the worst and no one's home but the record is on max is still here she just assumes rachel left without turning the record off and leaving max behind i don't know it's i mean maybe they had talked about she was gonna take care of max i don't know this whole thing is weird Tina just assumes Rachel leaves a little too easily. There's this weird stuff is amiss. It's like, pay a little bit more attention. Context clues. Yeah, and I don't know that there's exactly a rule being broken here. I mean, it's like, it's a weird passive version of constant vigilance. Like, you yeah. need to just use general common sense to feel like, hey, this isn't all right. Something is wrong, and she doesn't notice. The doorbell rings, and she goes downstairs. Nobody's at the door. And then her other friend, Samantha, who's just a blonde virgin character, sneaks up on her and spooks her. Ah, uh, don't prank your friends. Whatever, there's going to be way worse in uh, I, I know, versions I'm of this. just, I'm just, we're, we're, we're priming for the yeah, paint this job is, here. This is the appetizer here. Yes. The two of them leave. Michael was in the house the whole time, so those two were in mortal danger and they had no idea. Which also means that Rachel's body was in the house, too, mm -hmm. which means that... Tina missed the blood in the bedroom, yep. which would have been on the floor, and she was in that bedroom. Mm -hmm. They were careful enough to show that Michael had stolen the picture yep. of, uh, was it Jamie, yep. I think? So they do all of this, and then Tina just misses the blood splatter that 
I whatever. Tina sucks. I hate Tina. Tina's Tina sucks. So the two of them, they're going to go see Jamie, but they get distracted because Tina's boyfriend, Mike, who's just this greaser douche, shows up in his hot rod. Mike sucks, too. <laughs> yeah, prick fawns. Yep. And they drive off. Jamie looks out her bedroom window and sees Michael out in the yard of the facility because he followed Tina and Samantha to the clinic. And that's where they met Mike and they drove off. But Michael now knows where Jamie is. She's at this clinic. And we get this extended chase sequence where Jamie's running around trying to escape Michael. And it turns out it actually wasn't Michael chasing her. It was just the gardener. But what do you think about this for Jamie? I don't think it's great because she just runs into the basement and hides. But the person she's running from like immediately finds her. I guess action is better than inaction. And we have to remember she's nine. Yeah. So keeping it in context, at least she kept trying to do something. Obviously not a great performance. Yeah. But I guess I would be more upset if she just laid in her bed waiting for something bad to happen. So yeah. better decisions could have been made. But again, she's nine. She's this, nine. this is not a competent adult. This is not yeah. Rachel. This is not Dr. Loomis. This is not Tina. This is this not is, Sheriff Meeker. This is not Sheriff Meeker. This isn't Sydney from Scream. Yeah. Like... This is a little kid. We got to temper expectations a little bit, so any action to me is a positive one. Sure. That's fair enough. Dr. Loomis yells at Jamie some more, and it's really funny. <laughs> it's really uncomfortable. It is, but it's Cause, funny. Because you can tell Loomis is just fed up with this whole Michael Myers thing. He's like, I don't care anymore. Like, people already think that I've gone around the bend, even though all of this crazy stuff happened literally one year ago and everyone except me seems to have forgotten. Yep. Like me and Jamie, like we're two peas in a pod here. Jamie is not being helpful in tracking down Michael for some reason. It doesn't, and I don't even know if that's true. It's weird. I don't know what to think because Jamie can't communicate with us yet. Well, it's hard because they don't really ever establish this psychic connection between them. I mean, it's kind of like Harry Potter, Voldemort. Like they're, they're connected by this weird power and if they would have touched on that more, you could you could stoke that flame a little bit, and then we as the viewer would understand why she's not being helpful, but they just kind of show her being generally difficult. Yeah, and, and it's weird because when she does have these visions, she is working with Luma. She is trying to communicate. It's tough for her, but she is trying. It's weird. Yeah, and whatever happened to the chalkboard? Like, she, straight up, she wrote on the chalkboard, like, he's coming yep. for me. Like, what the hell During happened the to that? During the first seizure, she writes that, and she never uses it again, which I think would have been really helpful. It's a solid plan. Return to it. I'm starting to suspect this movie's not well written. That is probably the hottest take you've ever spat. <laughs> Dr. Loomis reveals that earlier in the day, somebody went to the cemetery, dug up uh, the body of a nine-year-old, and took the coffin. And he's like, what do you think he's going to do with that, Jamie? You're nine. It's like, dude. <laughs> Whoa. Relax, my bud. You gotta, you gotta chill. Like, like I'm all for getting the job done, but sometimes you gotta dial it back from eleven to like eight. I love Doctor Loomis. I really love Doctor Loomis. He he bothered me a little bit in this movie. It wasn't the Doctor Loomis who was taking pulls out of the canteen of yeah. the crazy preacher man. You know, I liked that Loomis. This yeah. Loomis is just like I'm so fed up. Yeah, I'm. I'm tired. Done with these movies. I'm only here because they're paying me a lot of money. (laughs) And this script sucks. (laughs) That's what it was. We meet a new character, the man in black. Derek's favorite character in the movie. Who are you? And we we don't know who this guy is. He doesn't do anything. No. He does do one thing. He does one thing. So the man in black arrives in town, and we don't know who he is. We just he's got he's dressed in black, and he's got cowboy boots. He's got the same tattoo as Michael. Yep, and he has the same exact tattoo as Michael on his wrist. Whatever. Doctor Loomis, it's, he he has his gun. He's locked and loaded all the time. 
So rule number five, Dr. Loomis, good job. Yeah. And again, we've acknowledged this four previous times, but Dr. Loomis's goal is not survival. It's never been survival. Yep. But he's still going to do his best to try and take Michael with him if he goes. His goal is to kill Michael Myers. And I think with each subsequent movie, he cares less and less about saving everybody else. I think he's more just about stopping Michael. He's like, we're going to lose some people along the way. Oh, well. But if we stop Michael, I'm willing, he's willing to sacrifice people to stop Michael now. Yeah. I mean, at this point, you know, this is the, the fourth, th- fourth movie with Michael. So I, I kind of get it. Fourth time's a charm. So he's got a gun and he goes to the Myers house. And he's looking around the house trying to see if Michael's there. Michael's not, but the man in black is. Who are you? What are you doing? Dr. Loomis knows he's in a horror movie and he's trying to do stuff. He uh, Jamie are the only ones who know Michael is back. Nobody else pays them any mind, really. And because of his goals, I still don't think he's really broken any rules here. No. He's done what he can. He's doing what he can because nobody else listens to him. He tries to convince Sheriff Meeker, like, hey, we got to do something. Sheriff doesn't really do anything about it because there's no evidence yet that Michael's back. So Michael watches Tina, Samantha, and Mike... And they're joined by Spitz, who is Samantha's boyfriend. And is also the worst character in this series. Spitz is pretty bad. This is probably just a difference of opinion between me and Ryan, because let me get this straight. Tina is bad. Spitz, there is something about him that just rings this bell. I hate him. I hate him, and I hate everything about him, and everything that he does is trash. Yeah, he's kind of um, the practical joker. That's his character. And he's got the worst laugh. Yeah. It's, it's the creepiest, like... <laughs> Spit sucks. Ah, so... Die. He works at a store, and basically their plan is they're going to steal three cases of liquor from the store. So Samantha and Tina leave, and they, they, his mic pull her into the alley out back. And they load up the beer, Spitz leaves, and so Mike is getting ready to drive off. And Michael Myers appears and starts scratching up Mike's car. Which is like a classic Mustang, by the way. It's a nice car. Classic Mustang convertible. So, as Ryan stated, uh, this guy's a greaser. Yep. His car is his life. Yep. So, he's going to get out of the car and he's going to be all macho man with this guy who presumably isn't really looking at him right now. And he just kind of says, hey, you want to go? You want to tussle with the boss or whatever? And then Michael just... He has a crowbar. Yeah, he does. So, you know, good on him. Lock and load. If someone came up to me and started messing with my car, and if I had a crowbar at me, I think I'd probably do the same thing Mike did, honestly. I don't think Mike's in the wrong here. He's a douche, but it's like, yo, someone's messing with your property. You have a weapon. Instantly confronting him, I think, is fine. It's just Mike doesn't realize how outmatched he is. See, and if if survival's the goal, physically confronting anyone is never the right answer. Yeah. I know that he doesn't really have reason to suspect he's in a horror movie, and that makes this more of like a human-on-human interaction. I don't want to completely discount the whole, it's Halloween in Hattonfield, and a guy in a white mask just scratched up your car, and you are loosely related to the friend group of Rachel, who yep. was attacked by Michael Myers. I mean, granted, that's a, that's a lot of steps to take from where he was, because he's a guy who flies off the handle pretty yep, easily. he's got a temper. And so he wasn't thinking that. And so, like, I don't blame his character for making the decision. But don't pick fights. What's the best thing that comes out of it? Like an assault charge? I mean, not great. I think he could get away with it, honestly, because like, yeah, this guy was damaging my property. I was protecting my property. You could probably explain it away. But Especially if it turns out to be Michael Myers. (laughs) But it's a moot point anyway, because Michael will grab him by the throat and then take this, uh, it was like a gardening tool. 
and whoop, right through the head. Right in the head. Yeah, the only thing I really have for Mike is uh, rule number 31, put your ego aside. Yeah, it's your car, it's your pride and joy, and yeah, you're a big macho man, and it's no fun to just run away from this guy, and I probably wouldn't have done it either, but I do think that's his big violation. It, it's it's minor compared to a, what a lot of other people do in this movie, and Mike is surprisingly not that bad, but I think if we had to put a label on it, I think that's his mess up. Yeah, and I think what I was getting at is a lot of actually rule number 32, which is Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. I know it's not as big of an infraction. I do agree with the one that you pointed out, but just for my point, getting into a physical altercation with someone doesn't typically have a good outcome for, right. for anyone. Like, obviously exceptions to rules here, but eh, he got up in his face. That was the best thing that can happen. But I get it. You're protecting your property. I get it. I get it, too. Still, to me, there's a little yeah. violation there. Yeah, technical rule violations, but I don't blame Mike for his actions. And I can see it. And actually, this is one of the few logical decisions in this movie. Mm. I, I can make myself get there. Mike makes complete sense. His Every decision <laughs> he makes makes sense. He is not a hard character to get. No, he sucks, and I'm glad he's killed, him very, killed off very early, because he, he could have been a far worse character than Spitz or Tina, given time. Yes. Um, so I'm glad we only get, like, three scenes with him, and he's done. But we do get to keep his car, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Michael drives his car for most of the movie. Michael drives Michael's car. Yep. <laughs> that won't come into play. So the clinic is holding a Halloween costume pageant that night. Again, you should probably stop the Halloween in this town. Just cancel Halloween in Haddonfield. Nothing good happens on Halloween. Yeah, I would think a Halloween movie where an outsider who doesn't know the history comes to Hattonfield and, like, Michael has returned. Like, maybe you can make it a dumb group of teenage friends and they come to Hattonfield and everyone, like, boards up their windows and, like, picks up their cats and brings them inside and everyone's like, what the hell is going on? It's a like, way better movie. Halloween in Hattonfield? Like, like, hey guys, for Halloween this year, let's go to Haddonfield, because the legend of Michael Myers. The interweb says that this is one of the most haunted places in the United States. Oh my god, let's go. And they go there, and everybody else boards up, you know, becomes a ghost town at night, because everybody boards up, or leaves town, or whatever, so it's just these dumb teens left out in the streets at night, and Michael's here. And no one's gonna help them. That's a plot of a movie right there. Sorry, I don't know how we got off track here, but I love this movie already. We we, we already wrote a better Halloween movie than Halloween 5, and it yeah. took us a minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yes, like you said, just best stop with the Halloween parties here. Not a good plan. So we see the man in black is outside of Rachel's house watching. And Tina's inside getting ready for Halloween, getting her costume on. And Michael Myers drives up in Mike's car wearing a different mask than normal to pick up Tina. I don't know why any of this happens. What is Michael's plan here? Why does he go pick up Tina? I don't, I don't know. And, you know, we talked about this in the Halloween 4 podcast about Michael kind of being like a tactical genius. Yep. You know, he has a goal and he has the weirdest but most successful ways of getting it done. I mean, he's ultimately failed, but there's always a reason. You're absolutely right. What are you doing? What, where are you going? What is his motivation? There's nothing. I don't know. He's just driving around in a Mustang. Maybe that's all he wanted was cruising the main. Yeah, he likes the car. I, I honestly <laughs> don't know. Jamie has another episode, and she sees that Tina's in danger and figures out Tina has made Michael stop at a gas station to get cigarettes. I don't know. Which, by the way, how did we stop at this gas station? I think we missed the part where Tina gets in the car with Michael saying, yeah. come on, Michael, who is her boyfriend's name. 
let's go, Michael. Stop for cigarettes, Michael. And of course, you know, Michael Myers listens okay. for some reason. So now Tina thinks she's in the car with her boyfriend, but she's in the car with Michael Myers, puts his own mask back on when she's in there getting cigarettes, and then you go ahead and continue. This is the most ridiculous part of the movie. Yeah, it's bizarre. I, I kind of liked it because at least it was a comical break in this just nonsensical pile of crap movie. The good news is Dr. Loomis again listens to Jamie, and they get the police out there instantly, and, to, and they pick up Tina, and Michael drives off. So Tina is saved. She has no idea that she was in so much danger, but she was saved. They bring her back to the clinic, and Jamie can all of a sudden speak again. Fine. I'm good. Good. For some reason, Tina's what did it for her. Which, I don't know why Jamie likes Tina so much. Tina sucks. <laughs> Gave her a pink tutu. Yeah, I guess. Tina still wants to go to this party, because obviously she's a high school teenager and wants to go party, get drunk, get laid, whatever. I mean, fair enough, but not right now. And Jamie's just begging and pleading for her to stay. Tina, just stay. Tina, just stay. Don't go party. Yeah, sometimes you gotta you gotta lay it down. Just just give up for the night. Call it, you know, chalk it up as an L. Yep. Try again at Thanksgiving. <laughs> Have a Thanksgiving party. And Doctor Loomis asks her to stay too, and he's telling her, "Please be sensible." And she's like, "I'm never sensible if I can help it." And then she like do 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 out the house. She's so weird, and I hate her. So Loomis sends officers Nick and Tom with her just to keep an eye on things, and they give her a ride to the party and. <laughs> Uh, Billy overhears where the party's going to be at. I know we haven't even established who Billy is yet because he hasn't really been important. But Jamie's best friend and like kind of crush in the clinic is a kid named Billy who's got a stutter. And Billy overhears that they are going to a place called Tower Farm for a party. Michael follows the cops and Tina. Like he's driving behind them to the party. Come on, cops. Do your damn job. And also constant vigilance. There's somebody following you. Yeah. You should know. Yeah, I guess they'd figure Michael Myers can't drive, but he can drive. So I don't know. It's whatever. Like you said, they're bozos. They're bozos. These these are not good cops. But then again, they did have to replace the entire force (laughs) from the last movie. The entire police force besides Sheriff Meeker got killed last year. I can't believe I just logicked my way into this being a piss-poor police force. (laughs) There's something there. I'm sure that was completely accidental on the filmmaker's part. Oh, yeah. But there's some story logic. (laughs) And then the man in black is outside the clinic for some reason. Because he's here. Because he's here. Doing things. So Jamie disappears. Dr. Loomis realizes Jamie is gone. And Billy goes after her and catches up to her. And Jamie wants to go save Tina because Tina's in danger. Michael's going after Tina. And Billy's like, yeah, they're at Tower Farm. I'll go with you. So the two of them are on foot and they're heading for the farm. They're little kids. Nobody else is really listening to them. Dr. Loomis tried. So I get they want to save Tina because nobody else is going to. And again, this comes back to what I said before. If you're a kid, action in this sort of situation is better than just being the useless bump on a log that gets everybody else killed. Because it's not what Jamie is. Nope. It's not what she was last movie, really. And it's not what she is here. No, she's a hero. She's trying to save lives. Yeah. She really is. I don't know why she's trying to save Tina's life. Because the world is better off without her. But Jamie is trying to save Tina's life. So... I'm okay here because I'm okay here too. Survival's not her goal. It's not. It's not. It, it will be later, but yes. right now it is. She's trying to save others. Yes. Admirable. Yes. We're at the party now. Tina, Samantha, and Spitz are all here. The cops, the uh, deputies, Nick and Tom are outside. Michael arrives at the party. And the cops start playing cards. Rule number three: Do your damn jobs. Just keep an eye on things. Constant vigilance. Rules number two and three. No, they're playing cards. And also, they're letting a bunch of teens drink. Which, I mean, I, I get. I don't I don't care. Yeah. But you're just bad cops. Yeah. You're really bad. They're really bad. 
Like, I want to find more rules that they're breaking, but they're just really bad at two and three. <laughs> they're really bad at one, they're, two, and three. They're real bad. So this is, like, the dumbest thing in the movie, I think. So Tina, Samantha, and Spitz decide to play a prank on these cops. Spitz is going as Michael Myers for Halloween. Because why the hell wouldn't he go horrible as Michael Myers? Horrible call, horrible call. But they pretend he's actually Michael Myers, and it goes after the two of them with a knife. And the cops, and to their credit, they pull their guns and point them at Spitz. And they're like, freeze, stop what you're doing. And they are so unfazed by having guns in their face, and they just keep going with, like, they're goofing around and running off like crazy lunatics. Ugh, I hate these three. Like, rule number four is don't be a menace. Don't play a prank on cops on Halloween with deadly weapons. Because Spitz has a knife. It's a fake knife, but he's got a knife. And then rule 32, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. What is the best case scenario here? There isn't any. Nothing good can come from this. Nothing. Like, like, the best case scenario is what happened. You had guns pointed at you. And walked away unscathed. And, and got away. Didn't get arrested. Yeah. Stupid. <sighs> I hate Spitz. He's trash. Yep. Tina's bad. Knock off Reese Witherspoon is pretty bad, too. <laughs> That's Samantha. Oh, God. It's terrible. And they, they're completely unfazed, and they go run off into the barn, where they go play with cats for a while, which is, like, the best part of which the movie. Which is the best part of the movie. Because the cats are adorable. Yes, then they're little kittens. Michael enters the barn as well. So he's in there. We got four people in there. Tina hears Michael enter the barn, but she just figures it's Spitz and Samantha. Fair enough. I mean, and it could be some other teenager from the party. There's no reason to think Michael Myers is here. And then Spitz plays another prank, and he drops a hay bale in front of Tina, scaring her. Stop it! Rule number four, don't be a menace. Whatever. I hate Spitz. Spitz sucks. So Tina ends up leaving to give Spitz and Samantha some private time. And then Spitz plays another prank on Samantha and scares her, pretends to be Michael Myers again. And pretends to stab her. Yep. And then Samantha's like, oh, it's fine, and they have sex. I, I've got nothing. Rule number four, Spitz, don't be a menace. Ugh. Constant vigilance, don't be a menace. So Michael appears, and he stabs Spitz to death with a pitchfork. Thank you. Now, besides don't be a menace, I got nothing for Spitz, because he didn't even know he was in a horror movie. There's nothing he could have done besides don't be a menace. Yeah, constant vigilance and don't be a menace, because, I mean, obviously you're distracted with other things. Yeah. In Hattonfield, on Halloween. I get what you're saying. Ultimately, it's don't be a menace, and then you wouldn't be in the position you're in. Yeah. Uh, here's the thing. Even if he hadn't played any of those jokes, likely the two of them would have just gone to the bar and have sex. Cut all the pranks out, and I, I could definitely see it ending the same way. He didn't even know he was in a horror movie, so there's not a real reason for him to be paying that much attention because he's getting laid. Besides, the like, it's Halloween in Haddonfield. But beyond that, there's no evidence to suggest that he's in a horror movie yet until it's too late. Yeah. So was... Spit sucks, but, you know, we got to be fair. You know, mm. where Spitz really didn't do much wrong, he didn't do anything right. Samantha immediately gets up and grabs the pitchfork out of Spitz's body and locks and loads, rule number five. She's in a horror movie, she knows it, and she's ready to fight. Great moment. It's, it's a good moment. And then she attacks Michael, and Michael is stronger than her, overpowers her, and kills her with a scythe. You know, I don't think there's anything Samantha really could have done here. She was pretty screwed. She was cornered, she tried to fight, but she's, she's no match against Michael. So I, I really don't have anything to say about Samantha besides don't be a menace. Literally, the only thing I have is the choreography of this scene, which isn't the character Samantha's fault. Yep. I would have liked to see something a little bit more dramatic. Instead, Michael just kind of like brushed the pitchfork aside and then scythed her. Yep. So it was a little disappointing, but ultimately, you're right. She was done she, for either she's way. Screwed. So the cops, they, they hear the screams, and to their credit, they don't think it's, or at least one of them, I don't know, thinks it's, that didn't sound like a normal sex scream or anything like that. And they don't think it's a boy who cried wolf situation they're both like i wonder what that was 
and they don't get out of the car, but it's not like they're ignoring it, so, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of where I thought it was going. Yeah. I thought it'd be like, oh, they're, they're fine. Boy, you cried wolf. So. And honestly, I would have been okay with that. That's not good look for the cops. Like, you need to take these things seriously all yeah. the time. Yeah. But I get it. But I also hated these three teenagers enough to where I'd be like, oh, it's yep, fine. Good. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> so they kind of poke their heads on. They see Michael exit the building. Like, and assume it's Spitz because they saw Spitz dressed like this. And they're like, hey, put the, seriously, put the weapon down. Stop messing around because he's holding a scythe still. He's holding a pitchfork. Yeah, was it the pitchfork? It was, it was the pitchfork. And they're like, yeah, hey, you come over here, you know, put the, put the weapon down. If you see somebody with a weapon and you're a cop, just be safe. Just be safe. Do your damn job. Follow the proper procedure. Get out of the car. Have your hand on your weapon. Say, put the put the weapon down and we'll talk. Okay, great. Now we can talk. It happens off screen, but Michael gets close enough to them and manages to kill both of them. And ultimately, I think it's just them failing to do their jobs properly. I get why they react the way they do. There's some logic to it, but at the same time, these procedures exist for a reason. Do it a certain way every time, all the time. And you'll live. But ultimately, I think it's just rule number three, do your damn job for deputies Nick and Tom. As was the case for this entire movie with them. Yeah. Everybody at the party decides to go skinny dipping. So everybody leaves. (laughs) Everybody. Tina's the only one left. She goes to find Samantha and Spitz and finds a cat covered in blood and a bloody scythe and then their bodies. Tina, you're in a horror movie. Rule number one. Finally. At this point, I was so detached. I didn't even care. But yes... At least she knew. Yeah. But she was almost given a free pass because Michael wasn't in the immediate vicinity. Yeah. But she knows now. She knows. It's important. She knows. So she goes and she finds the cops' bodies as well and then notices Michael finally. He's waiting for her. He's sitting in Mike's car and turns the lights on. And at the same time, Jamie and Billy arrive and we get this weird car chase where they're all on foot running around in this field and Michael's chasing them with their car. And by the way... I know that we don't follow the Zombieland rules here, but them kids got cardio. Yeah. They hoofed it all the way to this farm, <laughs> and then she's still running from the car. This is some good stuff. So Michael starts off driving after Tina. Tina, rule number 27, don't run in a straight line. Spread out! It'll confuse him! Try running your serpentine patterns! He's incapable of rapid towards direction! Serpentine, everyone! Serpentine! God, we have a rule for everything. Yeah, she just runs in a straight line. You know, zigzag a little bit. Throw him off. And especially, not that you would know this, but he's driving a classic American muscle. That thing is rear-wheel drive. It does not handle on dirt. It cannot take good corners if it's not on tar. Running not in a straight line could buy you precious, precious time. Run around the building, you know? You can use the building as, like, an obstacle to stop him from running you over. And I was saying while we were watching this part, like, run around a tree like it's the yeah. kitchen table. And, you and know? they get to the trees later, because at first they're in a field, and they eventually y- run yes. into the trees. And yes. Once they get there, you're right. But So, in the field, use the barn. Use the house. Don't make it easy. But rule number 27, don't run in a straight line. Jamie yells at Michael, like, hey, leave her alone. Come after me instead. And he goes after Billy instead. <laughs> But Billy is a sick dodge out of the way. He He's running, and he manages to jump out of the way of the car. Nice dive, Billy. Yeah, go on, good on you. And then he goes after Jamie next, and Jamie leads him out into the woods. And eventually Michael runs into a tree, and the car blows up. But he's fine. Because of course he is, and of course the car explodes. Yeah, I don't know how it blew up, but okay. It was like 15 miles an hour into an elm. It Whatever, whatever. Magic Stonehenge explode shit. <laughs> 
so Jamie uh, is about to get killed by Michael. Michael comes after her. And Tina heroically jumps in to save her and gets stabbed to death. And that's the end of Tina. Hallelujah. Um, <laughs> and if we're looking at it strictly from a survival standpoint, obviously there's a couple rules you could look at. I mean, she wasn't locked and loaded, but she couldn't have been. She could have left. But survival wasn't her primary yeah. goal at this point. So, again, specifically looking at her death, I don't really think there are any rules here. The only thing I could say is rule number 30, don't be a good Samaritan. Like, I get jumping in to save a little kid's life, but technically, if you want to live, you shouldn't do that. Right. I'm just looking I, I'm just looking at her goals. Yeah. And yeah. so, God. That's all I got for Tina, really. I mean, she's terrible this whole movie, but what ultimately leads to her death and maybe they wouldn't have been in this situation if she had, you know, not run in a straight line or hadn't been a menace or whatever. You know, maybe butterfly effect other things would have happened. Yeah, and I, and I and I talk about this all the time. Whenever I I feel whenever I'm on the podcast, I say there were many bad decisions that led us to this point. But if you drop me in at this moment and we examine it from there on out, I don't think she made any mistakes in her death. I get it. Just just rule 30, don't be a good Samaritan, but I get why you did it. You're trying to save a nine-year-old kid, and that's admirable. Sure. So Billy and Jamie run away. Dr. Loomis finds them, and Sheriff Meeker arrives a whole bunch of cops. So they're safe now, and Billy is out of the movie. You never see him again. Jamie finally agrees to help Dr. Loomis. And so Dr. Loomis shouts at Michael, like, hey, go home. Go to your house. I'll be there. Jamie will be there. We'll finish this. Great. Let's go to the third act. So the plan is Jamie is bait. She's sitting up in the, the old bedroom of Judith Myers, brushing her hair just like Michael's sister was all those years ago. There's cops surrounding the house, hidden everywhere, including you know Sheriff Meeker's running the operation. Dr. Loomis is in the house. And then we have Deputy Charlie, who's up with Jamie in her bedroom. And so they're waiting for Michael to show up, and they're going to kill him. Decent enough plan. I mean, at least they have a lot of people. You know, I like this so far. It's fine. Sheriff Meeker is one for preparation. We know that. Yes, yeah. He is a, he's, a, he's a tactically minded guy. And more evidence of that. You know, he's barely in this movie, but I like this move for him. Mm-hmm. So Jamie has another episode about Billy. Billy's in danger. And at the very same time, they get a distress call from back at the clinic. Michael's attacking the clinic. And so Sheriff Meeker, he's like, all right, this is done. Everybody move out. We're going to the clinic. Bring Jamie to the police station. And he rolls out. Fine, I like that. That's a good plan. You know, we're going to call this off. We, we have a location on Michael. Let's get Jamie to safety and we'll, we'll go get Michael. Dr. Loomis sabotages this completely. Because everybody leaves, Dr. Loomis goes up and holds Deputy Charlie at gunpoint. And he's like, no, we're not leaving. Michael's on his way here now. This is all his plan. Michael will be here shortly. We ain't leaving. What do you do? You got a crazy man with a gun. I'm fucking up the works. And, you know... I feel like you could almost go with, like, Dr. Loomis, don't be a menace here. I'll even go so far as to say, like, I get that he doesn't care that he has to make sacrifices to stop Michael. You're still being a menace at this point. Yeah. Because now you're purposely getting rid of backup. You know that Michael's not going to come while they're there. But just, I I don't know. You can split hairs all you want on this. Yeah. It's tough to go either way. He at least has a plan. You know, he's got a way to stop Michael. Mm. It's ultimately going to work. At least he's got a plan. Mm-hmm. So you can say that. The only other officer here is Deputy Eddie, and he's outside in the car waiting. And he lets them know, hey, another car just showed up. Oh, wait, it's a police car. And the police car crashes into Eddie's car, and it's Michael, and he kills Eddie. So for Deputy Eddie, just a little slow on the draw, I think, there. You know, he got hit by another car, and he just needs to move his ass. 
he was really slow, and Michael just got him. So I guess rule 28, run, bitch, run. Run, bitch, run! Basically, that rule just means move, like move with a purpose, and he didn't and got killed. I don't have anything else really to say about it because, I mean, yeah, he saw a cop car coming, nothing to suspect, coming quickly, a serious situation, rear ends him, knocks his head against the steering wheel, and then, like you said, before he even acts, he's yeah. kind of dead. Yeah. So. So, you know, he had a little bit of an opportunity to do something, but not much. Not much. Just needed to move his ass. Deputy Charlie and Jamie stay in the bedroom. He goes back downstairs. Dr. Loomis goes back downstairs. And Michael shows up. And Dr. Loomis tries talking to him very calmly. He's like, yeah, Jamie is here. You can see her. We can we can get rid of this rage you have, Michael. Just, just come with me. She's over this way. She's not upstairs. She's definitely not upstairs. Just come this way. And Dr. Loomis has set up this, this trap. It's a, a chain net of heavy chains and i think he's trying to lead michael towards that right now mm-hmm. but when he tries to get michael to put down his knife eh, michael just slashes him it's like no get out of my way michael myers no half measures come no. on no more half measures walter i feel like genuinely there is a soft spot in michael's heart for dr loomis for being like that one constant in his life after he kind of went psycho because this is like the third time that he could have killed him and just kind of chose not to. Yeah, You know, this feels like uh, uh, Bruce Willis and Samuel Jackson in Unbreakable or uh, Joker and Batman. Like, you have to have the two of them. There always has to be one and the other. Perfectly balanced as all things should be. Yeah, Michael definitely should have double tapped here. He should have. Roll number six, double tap. But yeah, there, there must be something there. It's the only thing that really makes any sense. Because I, I will say, I think this is like the most sympathetic portrayal of Michael we get in the series. There is a little bit of humanization there because we see him crying at one point and they, they talk that it's just like a, an insane rage that's causing him to do all this. So there's something there with Michael's character. So I don't know if that means anything, but it's something. <laughs> this is such a bad movie that to me it means nothing. Sure. But you're right. It makes examining his motives maybe a little bit more interesting because it's not just some evil possessing him it's given a name and it is rage like unsatiable rage michael comes upstairs deputy charlie's like yeah we gotta get out of here so he's trying to make a rope ladder out and michael starts breaking down the door and the deputy opens fires and gets him a couple of times but it's michael myers he's not gonna stop so he just comes in and ties a noose around charlie's neck and throws him out the window rip Oh my gosh, you clumsy clumsy man rope ladders are difficult but they're not that difficult well, to be fair, he tied it to some rope and it broke. I mean, or he tied it to some wood and the wood was rotten. That was the issue the first time. It was the issue the first time, but then he had it attached to a radiator, and then he was starting to climb out the window, and Jamie was going to climb out with him, but then he climbed back in, and then he turned around in a circle, and then Michael was breaking down the door, and then at point-blank range, he missed Michael like three times with the gun, and then turned back around, he was like, got him, and then like, he didn't say got him, but like he was kind of had that like, yeah. Now we can go. And then, like you said, Michael like charges through the door like a bat out of hell yep. and just, yeah, nooses him. So what would you say Charlie did wrong here? Because I think he was kind of screwed. You know, he missed a couple shots, but he got Michael a couple times. And even if he had had hit with all those bullets, it wasn't going to stop Michael. You know, I, I don't think that there are any blatant rule violations here. I think, if anything, he could have bought himself more time by simply doing better. But... When he boils down to it, no rule violations, I don't I don't think. I, don't I think, think he so did either. everything he could have done. I think trying to escape was the right move yeah. because Loomis obviously wasn't overly concerned with Loomis does not have lives. either of their best interests at heart. No. And so, you know, Charlie tried his best, but just wasn't enough. 
Yeah. Okay, so we cut back to the clinic. It's revealed a couple of people are dead, uh, including the doctor, the head of the clinic. Got nothing to say about these people. We don't know enough about what happened to them. Yeah, is Billy dead? No, Billy's not dead. Okay. Uh, we'll never see him again in the series, but I think it was the do- it's the doctor. We see his corpse, and I think the the other body is supposed to be the nurse, the nice nurse who looks after Jamie. I guess yeah, I that's what I remember. Um, we don't see her body, but I think that's what the director said. There might have been a deleted scene or something. I guess, like I, I guess I just assumed it was her, so I haven't read anything, but... Yeah, but that's it for there. We can't say anything about them, because nope. we, don't, we don't know. So Jamie goes and hides in a laundry chute, and this is my favorite sequence in the movie. I do think she's a little too loud, because Michael finds her pretty quickly, because she's talking to herself like, please don't find me, please don't find me, please don't find me. I don't know for sure if that's what gives away her position, but it certainly didn't help. Rule number 26, don't give away your position. Now, get a nine-year-old kid. She's doing pretty well considering, but, you know, still, it is a rule violation. You can do better, yep. but, yeah. Michael opens the door, and she falls down to the bottom of the chute, which is locked. And so Michael goes back down to the basement and is trying to open it. And Jamie manages to crawl back up, and Michael's stabbing through the side of the vent. It is pretty cool, but Jamie manages to climb out and escape. All I was thinking during this whole thing was... Man, Michael's got to be so frustrated. Like, seriously, it's kind of like you go downstairs and then you forget what you were bringing downstairs. So you have to go back upstairs to get it, then back down the stairs again. Nobody likes stairs, not even paranormal slasher villains. And you know, this is the perfect place to give up. But to Jamie's credit, Rule Seventeen: Never give up. The next thing you try, my work. She and, falls this. Yeah, she gets away. She gets out. I love this. It's 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 really impressive on Jamie. So Jamie goes up to the attic where she finds the dog Max dead. Rip. Michael didn't need to kill Max. Come on. It was unnecessary, but he needs to kill a dog in every movie. Basically. Um, And then finds the bodies of Mike and Rachel, which is pretty devastating. So now Jamie is cornered. She's in the attic. She honestly shouldn't have gone up there. Rule number 15 is don't run upstairs. She went upstairs in the attic, which was a bad move. But now she's up here. And so she just gambles. Hardcore. There, the, there's the little nine-year-old's coffin there, and she just crawls into the coffin and just lays there. Michael comes upstairs and it's like getting ready to stab her, and he she tries to appeal to his emotions and starts talking to him. Uncle Michael, Uncle Boogeyman, <laughs> and gets him to take his mask off, and they kind of share an emotional moment. We see Michael crying. And it's it's almost interesting. It's almost interesting. Almost, but it's not. <laughs> And it's short-lived as well, yep. because he basically immediately tries to stab her again. Yeah, she touches him, and he goes back into rampage mode. That's right. But she sees the opportunity, and she runs away and goes back downstairs. So it, it worked. It was a bold move, Cotton, but it worked. Never give up. Never give up. The next thing you try, my work. You know, She didn't lay down and die in this coffin. She had a plan. So And it worked. Credit where credit is due. I wouldn't have tried this personally. But I'm not a nine-year-old girl. so. And you're also not Michael Myers' niece. But if I was, I would not have tried this plan. Probably not. <laughs> so she runs into Loomis. And Loomis, this is, this is pretty funny. He just picks her up. It's like, hey, here she is. Come get her. <laughs> Never give up. The next thing you try might work. Loomis is using her as bait. <laughs> And it's really good. He just like, yeah, he's just walking backwards like, yeah, come get her. And lures him right into a trap. Come on, Michael. <laughs> you want the girl. She's here. Lures him right into a trap and drops a metal chain on him, a chain net. And he's ready with a track rifle and shoots him a bunch of times. Michael knocks the gun away. And so Dr. Loomis just grabs a board. And it's like, all right, I don't have a gun anymore. Well, roll number five, lock and load. And just starts wailing on Michael. It's pretty great. And I was mentioning this to Ryan while I was watching it. 
But I also want to acknowledge Loomis trying to learn from past events here because this is the fourth movie with Michael Myers and it is the fourth unique way in which he has tried to kill Michael. We started with uh, six revolver shots to the chest. Then we tried to blow him up and burn him to death. Then they tried to bury him alive. And now he's just like, you know what? Tried and true. We're going to throw a net on him, gladiator style, trank him a couple times, and then beat him with a board. It's effective. I got nothing to say. Like, Loomis, I love you, man. Loomis is great. And, you know, maybe he would have beaten him to death and maybe, like, tried to decapitate him or something. But, unfortunately, we'll never know because Loomis has a stroke. To be fair, he's pretty old. Nothing you can do about that. But Loomis collapses and has a stroke. And he's out of the movie now. The police arrive and Michael's arrested and thrown in jail. It's all over. It's finally over. Unfortunately, it's not over because we're going to get, like, the worst ending ever. So, the man in black arrives at the police station. And as Jamie's leaving, they hear gunshots from inside. And Jamie reenters the building. And Sheriff Meeker and all the police officers are dead. And Michael is missing. The man in black broke Michael out of his prison cell. For Sheriff Meeker and the police... I don't know what to say. Nobody could have participated in all-out assault on the prison with Michael already in jail. I got nothing. Like, maybe never assume you're safe, but there was nothing. Yeah, that rule applies to, like, the serial killer coming back to life, or you get into what is apparently a safe location, and you drop your guard and get killed. There's nothing to suspect. There's this crazy man with a gun coming in to shoot up the police station dressed like a cowboy nobody could have anticipated that i'm not gonna hold it against any of them they just what do you do and we don't see any more detail we don't see the shootout happen so i got nothing for sure meeker and the rest so jamie finds michael gone and that is the end of halloween 5 the revenge of michael myers so in summary It's a really bad movie. Yes. Okay, so we didn't get any new rules for Halloween 5. I'm not really surprised. No. I mean, you you said it to me a couple times during the movie, but nobody here, almost nobody knew they were in a horror movie. Yeah, it's really just Jamie and Dr. Loomis, and they're both pretty good. But there's no new ground covered here. So let's go to the awards. So we have two awards to give out, and the first is the Randy Meeks Merit Badge, which goes to the, the, the character in the movie who did the best job at following the rules. They don't necessarily need to survive the movie, they just need to have done the best job at following the rules. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. There's really only two options here, and that is Dr. Loomis and Jamie. Yep. And I think both of them are pretty good. Um, I, I don't really, really know which way I'm leaning yet. Do you have... I guess my preference would be towards Jamie. Because she was the one who was put in more of the survival situations. Michael is after her. Michael is actively trying to kill her. Survival is never Loomis's goal. Albeit he does survive. And albeit he does combat Michael the most effectively. This isn't the combating the Michael Myers award. This is how to survive a horror movie. And Jamie, although she makes some bad decisions, she's always making decisions. And as a nine-year-old and then surviving the movie, to me it's Jamie. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty torn. Um, I think you're right. I think this isn't this a combating Michael Myers podcast, which is a good point. Also, Doctor Loomis has one before, so you know he's got enough there. So I I, I do kind of want to give it to Jamie, and I do think she is ultimately better, even though Michael or Doctor Loomis is ultimately the one who stops Michael, and that's great. But Jamie is so impressive for a nine year old that I think Jamie is the winner of the Randy Meeks merit badge. So okay, Jamie Lloyd. Congratulations. I'm, I'm pretty happy that Jamie won. The I, youngest ever winner of the Randy Meeks Merit Badge. Yeah, it's highly unlikely we'll get anybody, any character younger than Jamie to win this thing. Uh, Jamie's great. 
Okay, so let's go to the Night of the Living Pleb Award, which goes to the character who did the worst job at following the rules in the movie. And this is based off Barbara from Night of the Living Dead, as opposed to the Randy Meek Spirit Badge, which is based off of uh, Randy from Scream, who created his own list of rules and is kind of the inspiration for this podcast. Barbara from Night of the Living Dead is just the worst character of all time. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it! You're ignorant! They're coming for you, Barbara. And when we were talking about the Night of the Living Pleb, there are really only two nominations here. Yeah. And the one that you brought up is... The deputies. Deputy Nick and Deputy Tom. Because they are so bad at their job, and they are terrible at constant vigilance, it's basically their fault that Rachel dies. It's not entirely their fault, but a lot of the blame can be laid at their feet. But on the flip side is they handle the pranking situation fairly well. So they're pretty bad, but it's just like, all the characters sucked in this movie, but they really didn't violate many rules because they didn't know they were in a horror movie. So I think the deputies did the most wrong, except for maybe your nomination. If you've been paying attention to the podcast, I'm sorry, you'll have to go all the way back to the beginning. The Mountain Man would be my nomination. Because who in their right mind takes care of a complete comatose stranger for 364 days they sneak into your house they attack you for a moment and you leave them there for 364 days ryan tell me why your nomination still like you're still leaning deputies tell me why the problem i have is this mountain man this is so illogical it just doesn't compute. Like, I, I can't, like, think about I can't wrap my mind around this. It's like I'm trying to plug in uh, uh, an electrical cord, two electrical cords, and, and it just won't go. This doesn't work. This doesn't connect because it makes so little sense. But I think I've decided to go with the Mountain Man because one other thing is he also, when he hears a weird noise, he goes outside to look around. And ultimately, the cops weren't complete zeros. They were pretty bad, but they weren't complete zeros. Or the Mountain Man, complete zero. Seems like a nice guy, but he... It, this makes so little sense that I think I, I have to give him the Night of the Living Pleb, pleb Award. Because he's a pleb. Yeah. He, 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 is, he is nothing better. So. And, 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 and I want a chance to talk about this weird MF or two. What are you doing, man? Because Ryan says, yeah, this does not compute. If this does not clue you in on how bad of a movie this is going to be, I don't mean to get meta here because we try to put ourselves in the shoes of these characters, but... I can't here. Can't do it. Like, we can subvert our expectations. We can logic jump all the way to Michael Myers as some kind of supernatural villain who's hell-bent on destroying people who are related to him. We can get there. We can't get through the first five minutes of this movie. Mm -hmm. We can't do it. It makes so little sense. It, it doesn't work. Because he's in the same clothes, in the same bed, nothing changes. Who takes care Who takes care of someone? That's just, that's irresponsible. This person could be, like, he's shot. Take him to the hospital. Get some help. This is just irresponsible. I don't think you're a doctor, Mountain Man. Like, if Michael Myers was a good guy, this is irresponsible, and it could have gotten Michael killed. Granted, that would have been a good thing, but he didn't know that. But this is just irresponsible. Trying to be a good Samaritan simultaneously doing a good job at it, but failing, getting yourself killed, going outside of your shelter when you hear a weird noise without a weapon while you live in the middle of the woods. Mountain man, you are the night of the living pleb and you are not so living anymore. Good riddance. Oh my gosh. This was um, a really bad movie, folks. Yes, this is a really bad movie. This podcast 
is way more fun. And I yeah. am not tooting my own horn. <laughs> I am really saying, don't waste your time. This is a bad movie. Before we spin the wheel, I just want to make a quick shout out to uh, our one of our loyal listeners, Eric, who uh, I believe is cooking dinner right now. He's listening to all the podcasts. Uh, thank you very much, Eric, for your loyalty and your support. I hope whatever you're making is delicious. So thank you. That was a gorgeous dedication. <laughs> okay, Derek. Before we spin the wheel, you get to make a reservation. So, are you going to do it? Are you going to reserve Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, starring Paul Rudd? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if your mic caught that, but yeah. Yep. Yep. We're, uh, what, halfway? Uh, not quite. There's 11 movies. There's 11? We're five down. We are, we're getting there one movie at a time. You know, and I think it would be irresponsible for me to make anybody else do the rest of this. Yeah, you are the Michael Myers correspondent. You can't let it go now. I could have written a better Halloween movie. than th- We wrote a better Halloween movie than this live yep. on this podcast. Yes, we did. All right, Derek. So here's what we have on the wheel right now. We have A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, Children of the Corn, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2, Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, Child's Play, Leprechaun 2, Saw 2, and Friday the 13th Part 3. Derek, go ahead and spin the wheel. And folks, we've finally done it. We landed on Child's Play. That has been on here since the beginning, and we finally landed on Child's Play. That's exciting. Um, My good friend Nick Guimont will be on the podcast. He's not been on before. He was supposed to be on for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre podcast, but got sick, and you filled in for him. And you know what? I'm glad I did. Yes. I'm glad I got to witness Franklin and all of his inglorious horribleness. Uh, so I'm really excited. I think Gimont's going to be really good. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, Derek, you want to plug any social media? As always, Instagram on Wednesdays, we wear pink. Other than that, just make sure that you're following uh, Ryan on Twitter at HowToHorror. That is how the number two Horror. Yeah, so Instagram, we're at How to Survive a Horror Movie, so check that out. That's pretty much it. Derek, thanks for being on this shitty-ass movie podcast. Because <laughs> <laughs> no one else would have done it. Yeah, exactly. All right, that about does it. This has been How to Survive a Horror Movie Podcast. Stay safe out there. Uh, uh.